The first thing that comes to mind is an interest in the unity of the church. One of the ways that we might be a little bit eccentric at times as evangelicals today is we tend to squabble over certain things that weren't as important to Christians of other times. Going back to the church fathers to be a source of relief and to be a source of opening up possible ways forward for trying to build unity in the church. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pastor Theologian Show. Today we have part two of our conversation with Gavin Ortland, who is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Ojai, California. If you didn't get a chance to listen to part one, be sure and check that out. It's the episode immediately previous to this one, but let's get right back in where we left off last week. that has just come out that is uh, has, a, has a, a fantastic title. Let me read the title because I think there are plenty of questions in the title <laughs> for discussion. Uh, Theological Retrieval for Evangelicals, Why We Need Our Past to Have a Future. Uh, give us the 30-second answer to the subtitle's question of why we need our past to have a future. What, what's the answer to that? Okay, 30 seconds. Well, 30 cu- seconds. Cut you me off 30 seconds. if I uh, uh, go you, too you long just go, here. Just go. If it's uh, 120 <laughs> seconds, that's fine. Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll make it personal and say, yeah. for me, I grew up going to evangelical churches, I think healthy evangelical churches, mm-hmm. had a good experience in, in the churches I attended. But when I began to read more from church history, I found that there was a deepening that happened in my understanding of God, um, and also in, so, so for theology, but also just in my walk with Christ. And I mentioned Augustine's Confessions as a, yeah. a book that would be an example of that. It, I found that those kinds of classic texts pulled me in directions that I wasn't already getting pulled in by just being an evangelical going to church. Mm-hmm. And I've just become convinced that we have a lot to learn from the past, yes. that our culture is at a very unique moment and that we have some eccentricities as evangelicals in this context that of course you never know what your eccentricities are until you get outside them a little bit and get perspective and i think church history can be a great way for us to deepen and develop in um in our faith as evangelicals i've had a lot of friends become roman catholic and eastern orthodox and there's that sense of the ache for um the ancient you know, it's yes. the ache for rootedness. And is that part of the, I mean, that's part of the cultural moment that gives rise, rise to this book for you, Gavin? It is. Is that right? And the I, sort of it, ephemeral, it, disconnected from the past place yeah, we find ourselves in? I think so. And I can relate to that myself. I'm yes. 36. I'm kind of on the cusp of being a millennial. I relate to other people of my generation in this sense of aching for context yes. by which to organize life. Aching for something big to, um, to to organize your life. And I think for the Christian, ultimately, that's God himself. Yes. And when I read people like Anselm, for example, they have this huge view of God. And I often say to people who, are, who have a negative view of medieval theology, hmm. okay, whatever mistakes they made, they're not making the mistakes that we make in our culture. And we can learn a lot. It's like looking in the mirror. 
you know, you can learn a lot about your own context from mm. going back in history and seeing the different approaches. This is the C.S. Lewis chronological snobbery. Isn't this his yes. point in that? Exactly right, yeah. He often says um, every culture has its own blind spots. Yes. So you have to get outside your own culture to see what they are. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And especially relevant for evangelicals, isn't it? Who, where we have tended to be disconnected from the past. Maybe with a with a, a reach for a Luther and a Calvin out of the Reformation. Right, but, right. But not going, you know, before that into the medieval or, yeah. or the classical or ancient is, period. Is there, and is there any way you would expand on, um, I mean, you didn't use this these words, but the shallow or the more superficial um, idiosyncrasies of evangelical, contemporary evangelicalism. Would you, could you expand on that beyond just disconnected from the past or are there other things that you have in mind there? Or is it re is really that that's just it? We're just not connected to 2000 years of church history the way we should well, be. Well, there's, there's a lot of things that would come up. I mean, some would be more specific and technical aspects of Christian theology. So one example would be the doctrine of divine simplicity, mm -hmm. that God is simple, which means he's without parts. Mm -hmm. So most evangelicals today just would say, I don't see that in the Bible. <laughs> um, and yet and they would think, God must be very complex. Yeah, exactly. He's very big <laughs> <Yeah>. and complex. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, and of course, the opposite of simple and the way this doctrine has been worked out is not complex, but composite, <laughs> Yes, right. right? So it's not that, we're not saying God is simple in that sense, but yeah, that's just one specific example to your question of where right. sometimes we go a direction that is different from the church the, Catholic. The tradition, yeah. Lowercase c Catholic, yeah. from what basically seemed normal to all Christians throughout every other place, and we're not even aware we're doing it. Yes. And so retrieval can be a way to just draw attention to those things. The uh, The book treats that doctrine and also the doctrine of the atonement, where we have some eccentricities, I think, and then a few other things in theology proper or the doctrine of God. Yeah, so, so. To lay out the argument of the book for us, and then and then I want to come back to another piece of the title that I want you to, okay. to riff right, on a little right. bit. But the, went, but the argument of the book itself has a couple of chapters that are laying out the retrieval project, and then I thought, I think, real helpfully, case studies. Yes, okay. Which is, which is really neat. You get it, you start working it out, the retrieval task on some specific things that are helpful for evangelicals. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So the first part is just a brief manifesto for theological retrieval. Um, by theological retrieval, that's kind of a technical term, but it just means drawing from the theology of the past to meet the theological needs of the present. So that's a broad way to define it. And it's just arguing that we as evangelicals today need that, that that's a need for us. And specifically, it's trying to argue that there's no compromise mm. in retrieving medieval theology and the theology of the early church. That's not undermining the Reformation. Right, exactly, because a lot of people— Because this is the main concern, is this right, Gavin? I think that is um, probably the main concern. Yeah, a lot of people worry that— they, they have a view of church history as though our tradition is 500 years old. Yeah. And then there's some precursors or antecedents to our tradition that pop up now and again. Yeah. Augustine, we like Augustine. Some of the early martyrs, they're good. Um, maybe now and again— a John Chrysostom sermon, yep. you know, <laughs> right. but that's a, you know, and then the lights go out for about right. a thousand years for the medieval time. And the, the book is saying that the reformers themselves didn't share that view of history, that they themselves understood themselves to be um, operating within the context of a 
tradition beginning with Jesus and the apostles, and they were not trying to start a new church, but reform the one church. So the task of retrieval, theological retrieval, that's different than studying church history. Is that right, Gavin? So uh, I— And it's I, different than just historical theology. It is, yeah. yeah. The way I, elaborate on that a little okay, bit. Okay, so the way I think one way to put it is re- retrieval theology is the combination of historical theology and systematic or constructive theology. Okay, that's so, helpful. Yeah, so you're drawing from the historical theology into the realm of systematic constructive theology. Mm-hmm. And I suspect some of our listeners who are in seminary are maybe not hearing the word retrieval. I mean, I know I didn't going through um, my evangelical graduate school education. I didn't, I didn't, I, and maybe that was the time, timing, you know, 15 years ago where evangelicals weren't talking about retrieval in the way they are now. Do you, do you think that's right, Gavin? I wasn't in, yeah, I wasn't in school back when you were. And I, <laughs> way You're back in the old. day. Yeah. What was that? I, but you, but you, I, you weren't throwing around retrieval We in, did in just day. a little bit. And I remember just thinking it was the coolest idea I ever heard. <laughs> when, <laughs> when I was in school, it yeah. was not a not I a thing. It was not, they weren't throwing yeah. no, theological retrieval. Term. Right? Yeah. I think in just the last... Five to ten years, yeah. it's become a buzzword, yes. and it's become kind of trendy. Like so, theological interpretation. Yes, exactly. Was. I think okay. what what the theological interpretation movement was to biblical theology, now this is playing a similar kind of role, I, I think, in historical theology and yeah. systematic theology. And, um, so and it's, there's always that danger when something becomes trendy, um, either to reject it just because it's trendy, or to just jump on board. Mm-hmm. So that can complicate things. But I, as I say, I'm convinced there's a lot of value in doing retrieval today. That's great. And, and, and so you're retrieving. You're going back to, and when you use the language of retrieval, you're thinking not primarily Reformation theology. That's part of our Protestant heritage and tradition that we, as it were, have access to and are happy to have access to. The retrieval process project is going back further into medieval theology. Yes, is that that's what right. you're it's retrieving? The, yeah, the, the book argues for retrieving all of church history. Yes. Every, the, the entire church is our theological community. Yeah. And just as we were talking about how it's great to have a study group when you're learning theology, um, there's a kind of learning that happens through conversation like this that's, that I can never have off in the library by myself, yes. just thinking. And it's the same with uh, church history. There's... there's uh, when you're in dialogue with other theologians, it it um, it helps with the task. So, um, yeah, retrieval refers to the full two thousand years of church history. And and am I overreading the the idea of retrieval, Gavin, and thinking you're going back to retrieve something? Right. This isn't theological conversation with the past. This is theolo- You're you're hunting for some stuff. Right. To bring it back to the present. How do you adjudicate that? How do you decide I'm going to retrieve this aspect of medieval theology, not that aspect of medieval theology? How does how do, and where do those yeah. criteria come from? How does that work? Yeah. That seems a little complicated to me. Well, it, to me too. <laughs> okay. um, Is this one of the you've got a nice chapter on benefits and perils yeah, in the so manifesto section? Is this one of the perils and ticklish parts of the retrieval task? I think so. And I think, you know, it, it, theological retrieval refers to a set of instincts. It's not really a method. There's not one way to do it, you know? Um, So the ways that you might determine what to retrieve and how to put it to to use could be endless. It could be endless ways of going about it. The broad intuition that informs it is um, we should do theology in community. 
not just mm. by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that community is not just spread across space, but also time. There so go. that's kind of the broad conviction that undergirds the, the, um, the task. Um, I already forgot what the original question was that we're getting onto here, but um, I probably exceeded my 30-second timeline. <laughs> how, time time anyway. um, how do you... Dis- oh, how do you determine right. or discern what what you should retrieve? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going to take this of 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 Augustine or Aquinas, and I'm going to leave that. Or, how, okay. or that even do you go with a question in mind, or are you just kind of cracking open Thomas Aquinas? Like, I wonder if there's anything for me to retrieve here today, or is it like I need to figure this out, see what there is in the tradition for this question that I have about today yeah and the 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 force of it is the retrieval talking about theological retrieval makes it sound like i'm going to retrieve something that i have already identified and i'm hunting for it i'm going out to get it and bring it back that's that's a different way of framing the project than i'm reading historical theology i'm reading to try to understand medieval theology right to to just kind of being quote-unquote be in conversation with it seems like there's more intentionality and a kind of constructive agenda Am I overpressing? No, um, I think that's right. Both of you have kind of mentioned, is it this or is it this in your questions? And my feeling is it can be all of that. I mean, the term is used in a pretty elastic way. Okay. What I primarily think of, though, is more what you're getting at there, where there is a level of intentionality to, hey, I'm I'm bumping into a theological need in the moment. Where can I go for help oh, okay. there we go. to meet that need? So there's a balance there of... Um, the historical theology and the contemporary need. And to me, it's exciting to see them touch. But it is challenging and there's dangers. Whenever you're using something, there's a danger of ignoring the original context, for example, just pulling out quotes or something like that. So um, not having good historical scholarship or if you're in the other direction of not really applying it to the current need in a sensitive way. So you're just kind of stapling on this answer because Thomas Aquinas said it, and he's Thomas Aquinas. He's kind of and, leveraging the weight of the historical figure to bludgeon. And maybe not fully appreciating the concerns yeah. that have created the new question in the present. So mm-hmm. I think the best of theological retrieval is one that is done with a sensitivity to both the contemporary need and the historical resource and tries to bring them together in a really in a, in a fruitful conversation. And then scripture— I'm a Protestant, so yes. I say scripture is the norming norm above it all. Yes. So n- nothing that we retrieve is a sort of infallible, immovable verdict. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's rather doing theology in the community of the church. And you have some of these case studies in the book. What what has been the most compelling bit of retrieval, theological retrieval, that you're like, I re- uh, you know, to put it kind of very... Clunk, in a clunky way, I went and retrieved this X yeah. theological insight from Y person, and it's been so thrilling and exciting, and re- it's opened up all kinds of things that I hadn't thought about before. And and it's commends the theological retrieval process to you. It's 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 making you even more what, of a believer. In what's it. the best case study in the book? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, similar way to put it. Right. <laughs> I think the the answer I would give to that is studying the doctrine of God and being absolutely enthralled by the glory of God and the weight of God and the um, the majesty of God mm. as it can be seen through people like the ones we're talking about, like 
Anselm, um, the church fathers, they approach the doctrine of God with different instincts than we often do today. Yes. So today in Tim Keller's The Reason for God, one of the questions that he addresses, that book addresses the top seven or eight doubts of our culture is how can a loving God send people to hell? And that's a huge question that lots of people have. And Anselm's question is how can a just God forgive? How can mm. he show mercy? He has a different problem. So he's not just having a different answer. He has a different question. Amazing. And that's so interesting to me because he's coming at the task of theology in a different way. And the way I break it down in my mind is we tend to start the, our starting point tends to be human concerns and human questions. And Anselm seems to be in some way starting with God's concerns. Yes. And um, I just think that's so valuable to try to step into his shoes for a mm -hmm. little bit and see the world through his eyes and um, reading the church fathers and people like Anselm, other medieval theologians, on things like divine simplicity. And I have another chapter there on a, a metaphor that's of thinking of the metaphor of God is like an author and the world is like a story. Mm -hmm. And then looking at different doctrines through that metaphor. And what I've come away with from all of that is just a deeper sense of, I, I don't have the right word, I'll just say the weightiness of God yeah. and the priority of God. To, um, he's not something to be fit in to my thoughts. Yeah. He's the starting point. Yeah. And um, doing retrieval helps me remember that. Yeah. Not just different answers to your questions, but, oh my goodness, I hadn't even thought to ask that question. Right. And it seems to be the pressing issue. Yeah, that's marvelous. That's marvelous. Talk in the in the minutes that we have re remaining. Talk about some of the relevance of your retrieval work for your pastoral ministry, pastoral leadership, pastoral care, your mm -hmm. self conception as a pastor, theologian. Kind of, you take it wherever you want to go with okay. it, Gavin. But but in other words, the so what of this. So is, yeah. I assume but do you this do is, retrieval in your sermons? Yes, right. But but you know, I assume I I know you. And and so I can say with confidence that you're not interested in, and this is very much in in the the heart and passion and vision of the CPT. You're not interested in doing academic theology as a side thing, right. and then you're a pastor. Right. You're interested in integrating these things and seeing them being kind of mutually reinforcing and encouraging. And and uh, and so talk to us about how the study you've done in theological retrieval has enriched your your leadership as a pastor okay. and preaching ministry. Yeah. And and. Other things. Well, and then what you, I appreciated what you said there because that is my heart. I mentioned at the beginning of the book, I, I write this with a sensitivity to pastors mm -hmm. and interested lay Christians yep. and hope it's very accessible to people. Um, I, the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask this, I mean, there's lots of ways that it yeah. could come out. It does come out in sermons a little bit, yeah. not a lot. <laughs> um, but the first thing that comes to mind is an interest in the unity of the church because mm. a lot of, one of the ways that, we might be a little bit eccentric at times as evangelicals today is we tend to squabble over certain things that weren't as important to Christians of other times. Um, and one of the things that's been a big thing in my life that has been painful mm. is um, the doctrine of creation. Yes. And um, my views on that topic, uh, sometimes leading to closed doors or... Um, Closed doors in terms of fellowship or fellowship church or ministry, employment or yes. ministry opportunities, yes, all of that, and yeah. and um, it and it can affect things pretty profoundly. And uh, I've just found 
going back to the church fathers, for example, on the doctrine of creation to be a source of relief and to be a source of opening up possible ways forward yes. for trying to build unity in the church because they approached that doctrine differently. They didn't fight over the same things. And um, it's helpful to be able to say to someone, uh, wait a second, if we draw the lines in such and such a way, we've just excluded the greatest mm. theologian of the early church, St. Augustine, or um, the most some of the most conservative Protestant Christians of the last few hundred years, like B.B. Warfield and Charles Spurgeon and J. Gresham Machen and people like that. And so retrieval for me has been a resource to try to make appeals for unity. Uh, let's not draw the lines exactly there. Now, in other times, it could also maybe cause us to draw more lines, you know. So because not, you see these important things really have been important historically. Right. So it can work, it can cut both ways there potentially, but because we tend to fight over a lot of things, another example would be the doctrine of the millennium in Revelation 20, yeah. where throughout church history, there's been less fighting over that. In fact, so much so that, and I don't want to advocate for one view here, I'm just sure. making a broader sure, point, sure. but the view that's most commonly seen as the default in our context was not even in existence for the majority of church history. Yeah. Such as it is currently, at least. That's right. Well, yeah, because I'm thinking of dispensational right. premillennialism, right. but although uh, premillennialism as such was also absent between Augustine and the 17th century. Yes. So for me, that helps me That's say, interesting. hey, yeah, <laughs> maybe we should kind of dial it back a notch in terms of some of the uh, the barriers that get drawn around an issue like that. So that's a way for me that um, going back to the past can be helpful for perspective and hopefully build pathways to And to how unity. about, I, I don't want to get overly kind of practical, Gavin, but but can I press <laughs> do, you a do, little do, bit? Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, sure, but sure. I want to press you a little bit. In what, can you talk about in concrete terms how it's shaped you, the doing of ministry for you? So I, I so appreciate and affirm and love what you've just said about um, recognizing the unity of the church and the prioritization or deprioritization of certain doctrines in light of the tradition of the church. That's marvelous. I, mm. I affirm that entirely. Can you get more concrete and specific about the practice of ministry? Yeah. And I don't want to be fishing for something that, that I mean, I'm not trying to paint you into a corner yeah, here, yeah, yeah. but. Yeah. Well, just one simple thing would be a greater appreciation for liturgy. Yes, okay. And for um, uh, meditation and contemplative prayer. So those Which are not the soup du jour in our evangelical background, right? right. Is that fair? I think that's fair. But uh, lots to learn there from church history. Marvelous. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I think liturgy is a great example of where evangelicals can be pretty different from the rest of the church in our worship service and how we approach that. Um, so those would be two kind of headings. We could probably pursue both of those for a long time. We but. could, but I got to be a little cheeky and just ask you to bring, we want to bring it back full circle to your, your growing up as a Presbyterian, going to a Presbyterian seminary and becoming a Baptist, Baptistic in your 
polity yeah. and theology in seminary. And then has has have you revisited your Baptistic convictions in light of this interest Constantly. in theology? Okay, there we go. <laughs> because I yeah. think a lot of people would say as soon as you start doing theological retrieval, you're gonna you're gonna yeah, dispense like with your Baptistic going convictions. On with that pedo baptism thing. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Just it's like a, you said about it, about a, the the premillennial view. I right? know, I know. So uh, it, well, I, I don't. It's a great sense of dissonance for me in that yes. culturally. And in terms of ethos, I really resonate, for example, when I visit my my uh, brother and sister's Anglican church. I love the liturgy. Mm. I love the historical rootedness. Um, and then credo-baptism is a barrier for me. Mm-hmm. And I, so I feel a little bit uh, pulled in two different directions, yes. uh, just denominationally of yeah. where do I fit in? Because yeah. I'm a credo-baptist. That cuts you off from most of Christendom, actually. Yeah. And then <laughs> my instincts are I'm... Uh, I'm really interested in liturgy and church history yeah. and so forth. And that doesn't always float I'm the best you. in the I'm Baptist world. Yeah, I well, feel your best. What, <laughs> what, what, what are pain. you exactly, Gavin? Like, what's going on? I've tried to figure that out. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist who hopes to help other fellow Baptists grow in the ways we there can we learn go. from our other brothers and sisters. Yeah. And that was something I was thinking just throughout this entire conversation is like this whole retrieval project particularly in the context of the local church, I imagine it enables you to just speak to and uh, speak of uh, other Christians and other Christian traditions in a charitable way and speaking mm. um, speaking well of uh, our entire history, the entire tradition, and having um, just not, not just constantly drawing lines as you, as you referred to and putting up barriers. And I think, I think that is um, certainly a, uh, a felt need for a lot of people, I think, in, in the contemporary church. And I, yeah, maybe it can help us define ourselves positively yes. by what we affirm, not negatively from what we Correct. deny and what, yes. how we're different from the other Christian uh, in the other tradition. So we still recognize there are those differences. Yep. But there's more of a heart to be. I'm not drawing my distinctives as my identity. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's healthy. That's yep. And I wonder if just to kind of wrap things up, Todd, I, you alluded to the subtitle. Yes. Earlier, but what, what's going on with the with the subtitle? It's just it was it was your a, appeal to urgency. Why why we need our past to have a future? Was it's, this you or was this some publisher? Well, it's an unintended you? double meaning because I sent it to the publisher and they said, oh. Great job on the double meaning of the subtitle. And <laughs> I said, had no idea <laughs> what they were talking about. So I meant Since it it's funnier. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. yes, 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 yes. I meant it as why we need our past in order that we may have a future. And but the the other meaning that you could take it is why we need for our past itself to have a future. So that you could take it in both oh, ways. So, nice. But um yeah, so uh, I I have to give him credit for yeah. thinking of that. But um, it's just meant to reflect the the need that we have and that um, if we are not anchored in history, we are very flimsy. We're just going to float away. Yeah, And I think that's true. And I see that a lot with people, especially my age. Yeah. Yep. They're just kind of good. floating away because they want something of substance. Um, and if we're not anchored in history, a lot of times we won't have a real worship and theology that is of substance. So Gavin, folks listening who, whose appetites have been whetted uh, should go grab a copy of your book. You can get it Crossway, Amazon, all the rest of it, I'm mm-hmm, sure. That's right. Um, where else 
might they go to, if, if this kind of scratches where they itch, what else would you recommend they do or pick up what book to read or is there a follow on from this? Uh, is it too narcissistic to mention another forthcoming book? No, come my- on, come on. <laughs> um, so this is just a- setting up another podcast interview. Is what exactly. This is doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a book that actually was what I worked on here in Chicago. Yes. And it'll be coming out next June from IVP Academic yeah. called Retrieving Augustine's Doctrine of Creation. Um, Marvelous. Ancient Wisdom for Current Controversy. And it's about what I mentioned earlier about creation issues. So it's Great. an example, more specific example of retrieval theology really focusing on Augustine and creation. So hopefully that would be... And then there's a, actually a number of other books on this topic that... Um, one is called Theology as Retrieval. It's by Bushart and Eilers. Okay. It's another IVP yeah. academic book, 2015. And another is called Reformed Catholicity by Michael Allen and Scott Swain. It's a Baker 2015 book. And that's those a are, nice book. I've read that one. That's those nice are both one. great introductions as well. Thank you, Gavin. This has been a great conversation. And uh, can we have you back when the Augustine book comes out for oh, another, love to. another conversation? Fun. Absolutely. Grateful for you. Grateful for your ministry, your life, your, your involvement, engagement with the Center for Pastor Theologians, and certainly for being here with us today. Thanks, Todd. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.